now, I'd love you to welcome Sam. Can we do that together? Wow, that's warm. Thank you. Yeah. You need help. Even your Bible's upside down. Should I turn it the right way up for you? <laughs> Let me pray for you, buddy. Father, mm. thank you for this man. And I want to pray your richest blessings upon him today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me just tell you let me just tell you for two minutes about Sam. This is the thing. When I was in Uganda, uh, we were staying in this compound and um, I get up in the morning early. It was early and I'm an early riser. So I get up in the morning early and I get out on my just outside my room to pray and uh, I see across the courtyard Sam's out praying. Like we're the only two up. So I'm thinking, gosh, he's up early. So the next morning, I got up 20 minutes earlier. And I got out and I sat down. I looked across the courtyard and Sam's out there praying. So the next morning, I got 20, up 20 minutes earlier still. And I looked across the courtyard and Sam's out there praying. So the next morning, I set my alarm on my phone. I woke up and I looked out the window and Sam was there praying, and I went back to sleep. <laughs> and and that, that evening, round the table, we asked Sam to give his testimony. Uh, why was he a Christian? How did he come to faith? And um, I don't know if you're going to share some of this, Sam, in the, in the time you've got, but he belonged to the BBC. Yeah, Bad Boys Company. The Bad Boys Company. Yeah. And was, he was not the... Not the um, not the, the uh, greatest shining light as a young teenager for others to follow. But God did an amazing miracle. Yeah, 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 best to stay out of his way. God did an amazing miracle in his life. And perhaps you just share that for a few minutes and then Good. Yeah. encourage us some scripture. Is that okay, buddy? Yeah, yeah, it is. Thank God you bless. so much. Um, I was born in a Christian family, and um, they, they were strict Anglican you have to pray in the morning, pray in the evening. You have to keep your hair short. Those days, uh, people were growing their hair sh uh, high. You had to put on a, a small trouser. Those days, we put on bell bottoms, we call them. So there are too many rules in that thing. It's kind of bored me, but I stayed in for the sake of pleasing my mom. Uh, when we were in Sunday school, one day they were teaching about our great God, and he plans everything, and he thinks he knows everything, and... Uh, so when the teacher said, the Sunday school teacher said that God plans everything that happens, I put up my little hand. I said, I don't believe that. I don't think he plans everything. They said, shut up. So I kept, I shut up. And uh, at the end of the service, I went to her. I said, I don't believe what you said. What good into you, young man? I said, if you say God is good and you say he plans everything, that means he plans even bad things. And my father was killed. They said that he's the one who had built the church in which we were praying. I said, if God plans for people who have built him churches to be killed, I don't want anything to do with that God. And so from that day on, I turned my back from the Lord. And I just used to go to church to make mom happy. But at home, I was a nice boy, but away from home, something else. When I went to secondary school, I joined their... Uh, I, I started reading these writings about African writers. They say the white man came with a Bible in one hand and a gun in another. He told us to pray. When we opened our eyes, our land was gone. 
that made more sense to me than the Bible. And so I really got off from that group called BBC, Bad Boys Company, and boy, were we bad. We were bad. You know, we just would rough off people for no good reason. And um, at home, I still maintained being a nice boy, away from home or something else. Anyway, I thank God that in that season, I started developing a goiter. I'm thanking God because it's not there now, so I can thank God. You know, so it started developing. And as a bad boy, of course, that was bad because people will say the guy with the swelling in the neck. I started using a scarf. They say a guy with a scarf. So I really wanted it off. I went for treatment. It took two years, and finally the doctors told me, just forget about this, we have to operate you. And it was so big, I could not even put on a tie. If I did like this, this became all straight. Um, so, one time we had these guys who came, Pentecostals, came to our, uh, our school. I liked the Pentecostals because they were different from our church. You know, they would go... <laughs> and they would be shouting, dancing, and... Uh, and then they used to have very nice girls in the choir, so I thought. <laughs> so, so just, you know, just seeing what, to be entertained, basically. And, uh, but when they made an altar call, like over 200 kids, I think our school was over 1,000, flocked in front to get born again. Uh, half of my guys also went, went and uh, I thought, ah, whatever. So when we were going, they said, hey, come back, come back. We pray that the Lord will save and that he will heal. From what he has done, I believe the power to heal is here. Just touch where you are sick, even if you are not born again. I thought that's easy. I remember I did this and I touched and they prayed. I didn't actually expect anything to happen. So anyway, I go back to the dormitory and there's this young man uh, seated on my bed praying. I grabbed him, lifted him, put him back. I said, you, joke. If this thing doesn't go, you will see. I mean, he was really terrified, but he was so courageous. He said, excuse me, what if it goes? I wasn't ready for that. So I said, well, you'll have saved your skin. And I left. That whole week, I don't remember seeing him for lunch. I think he went on a prayer and fasting. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, at the end of the week, uh, one morning, I thought, I've not had pain. When I touched, it was gone. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, amen, for that, ma'am. May the Lord take you to Africa for a vacation, then you come back. You know, so I wasn't excited. The reason is because that meant that the things about God might be true. So I thought, my goodness me. So I was now very careful not joking with those people again. So anyway, I go back home and I meet the doctor on the way. And she had been treating me for two years. She so said, young man, are you coming for the operation? She said, well, actually, it's good I met you. I don't know if I need one. She said, what do you mean? She said, oh, my God, what happened? So I gave her the testimony. She said, wow. So these miracles actually happen. She said, medical doctor. She was like, because for two years, isn't it two years? Yeah, 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 it's two years. And we've treated you in all kinds of, you know, treatment that we know. Oh, my God, are you born again now? I said, no. She said, what's wrong with your head? <laughs> So anyway, I left and she left. You won't believe this. A month later, same spot, same location, just different directions. I met her again. She says, praise the Lord. That's how we greet in Uganda when you meet born again. I said, amen. She said, wow, are you born again now? I said, no. So she started walking. I said, something must be wrong with your head. 
I had your testimony. I gave my life to the Lord. You, the owner of the testimony, you are not. And she walked off. That started a process of me really considering, but still, I mean, I didn't, I didn't take it that far. Uh, when we got to school that day, I went to the club. We used to dance whether I had money or not, because in the beginning, we'd go there and ask the bouncer, are we dancing or they are not dancing? We say, what do you mean? Bang! Bang him with the head, push him. So you want to know more? Then you add him, you know, things like that. So every time we showed up, they just allowed us. I, by the way, I changed. Don't look at me like that, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm much better. Hallelujah. <laughs> Work in progress, but much far better than I used to be. <laughs> anyway, so um, that was a process for me that started bringing me to the Lord. Anyway, that day I went to, to the dan- dancing. I was the type that would dance and people give me space. I mean, you know, like all the gymnastics, somersaulting. So by 1.30ish, I think I was really tired, so I sat. At that time, I would have said it is something told me. Now I know it was the Holy Spirit. I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, get up. So I jumped, and the bottle passed, Pew! and the split cut my neighbor's. That really scared me. I left that club, went back, gave my life to the Lord. As they said, the rest is history. Amen. Thank you. Back home still. When you hear what the Lord has done, I mean, after all that coaching, surely you should be more excited than that. (laughs) I want to bring a word uh, from the Lord, then I'll share a bit for what God is doing with us as a church. I want to address a subject that I have called, it may not make sense after I talk, but I wanted to speak to you about turning a potential mistake into a blessing. Are you with me? There is a huge mistake that Jesus made. I want to share with you about this mistake, but we can turn that mistake into a blessing. Are you alive? Good. Yeah, this, this is actually more lively. I can see that. Yes. <laughs> when Jesus comes, the Bible says he was taken to go and be tempted. And he was tempted for 40, years, 40 days. Very helpful for you to know that <laughs> some of the temptations that you are going through, it's actually the Holy Spirit engineering. Yeah. You know, because if, you drew, if all of us had to draw our curve of growing and knowing the Lord, it goes highest when you go through trouble. Because trouble has a way it catches our attention. It causes us to stop looking at us and begin looking for help somewhere. So anyway, the Lord, the Bible says, comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. He stands up and reads in Luke, and he says... Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what was the scripture? The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor. For a long time I used to think the poor meant poor in physical terms. Until I read the, the, the Beatitudes, he talks about poor in spirit. And, and if, if you ever came to Africa and they served a buffet and they put lots of food, Africans will put a full plate. You know, overflowing. And we, we have a joke no pouring of petroleum products on the road. <laughs> and, and you know, they really f- pack the plate. And people coming from here say, why do they have to put so much? Well, we're hungry. That may be the only time you can, you have an opportunity to eat more than two pieces of chicken. So, I mean, now that the Lord has given us, have more. 
And it's the same, Jesus was saying, I've come so that those who are hungry, don't worry at home, I've, I've already been, I'll not eat too much today, okay. <laughs> no, no, it's okay, you know, for after one month I've been civilized. <laughs> But Jesus was driving at something here. He was saying he came so that those who are hungering after spiritual things will keep going and will take more and then more and then more so that they are overflowing with this thing called uh, salvation or the kingdom of God. And I want to shift now, go to Matthew where we read this morning. Jesus had been walking with his disciples. They had seen him do all kinds of things. And, and, and suddenly, in the middle of nowhere, he pauses and says, who do people say I am? In other words, it is very possible for you actually to come to St. Paul, but you really don't know what's really, really, really going on at St. Paul's. So Jesus wants just checking. What kind of knowledge do these guys have? And he checks, and surprise, surprise. They told him all kinds of strange things. I think, let me, let me follow it here. They say it when he says, who do men say I am? He says, where was that? Who do men say I am? He, they, he said, they said, um, um, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. All the people they are talking about are dead people. What is the conclusion? Jesus is a eh? ghost. These are dead people. He's come in the picture of one of the dead people. And this, we, we're talking about his disciples. I was talking to pastor here. I said, if you really want to know what people talk about you, you can even test this yourself in your life. Ask people, what do you think people talk about me? They first tell you what they talk about you themselves, and then what their friends have talked about you, and then what they think people may be talking about you. This was a trap. Jesus just wanted to check them out. What do they know? And there he was, shocked. I pity Jesus. <laughs> the people who have been following him thought he was a ghost. Of course, you don't have to look too far in the Bible to find out. One time after he had fed 5,000, he gave them uh, each one a basket of, you know, leftovers to show them that miracles still happen, and he has done it. And he told them, see you across the, the lake. Was it a sea or the lake, one of the two? Anyway, you would imagine that with those testimonies of 12 baskets, they would just be saying, cool down wind, we must go across. But the Bible says they were worried. And Jesus comes walking on the water. What did they say? Thank you. I think people from here should go to Uganda. <laughs> they said, ghost. And, and, and Peter, Peter says, no, this could be the Lord, actually. So he, he reasoned quickly. He said, if it's the Lord, he should be able to talk to me because ghosts are not supposed to talk. And I see Thomas holding him on the boat saying, it could be a talking ghost. But my brother Peter, when I go to heaven, God bless his soul, I must meet Peter and shake his hand. I say, you made my day. Peter steps out of this troubled boat and steps on troubled water. Bam. Bam. And this, we're talking about a fisherman. A man who knows that water obeys the, the, the law of gravity. 
He had been on the water. He had seen what happens when you get out of the boat. He was walking on the water, believing that Jesus could sustain him to walk on the water. Do I have to say more? He walked on the water until he turned to tell his friends the thing is real. You may say that is not written in the Bible. Well, I'm just trying to imagine what made him to see the wave. Because they said when he saw the wave, as long as he looked at Jesus, the wave wasn't a problem. When he removed his eyes on Jesus, he must, be, he must have been looking somewhere. And, and don't we all you know, get swept away by circumstances? We sang this song today, uh, the faith can move mountains. Mm. Faith can move mountains. I want to move some mountains. But my friend, sometimes those songs are so nice, we put up our hands. As soon as you step out the door, you remember you have bills to pay. Am I talking? So, here was Peter seeking. And Peter, Peter was a good Anglican. <laughs> so, so he prayed, Oh Father, the creator of heaven and earth, I am now coming to you, Lord. Uh, you know, just to hear me, I am sinking, I think you can see. <laughs> what did he say? Lord, help! A bit Pentecostal right there. <laughs> and the Bible says the Lord reached out, got him, and they walked on the same water again. That means as long as you look at him, you'll walk on things that would sink you. That means when you are walking with him, you'll still walk on the things that would sink you. Back home, somebody there says amen. amen. And so they get back to the water. You would imagine after that, they would, they would really understand who Jesus is. And it's possible to be with the Lord for years and we spend time with him and we never shift from where we have been. Here they were. And so Jesus, Jesus so he said, okay, good. I can see your knowledge, that level of knowledge. I have already tested the level of knowledge. Now I want to check relationship. What about you? This is now personal. Pastor here loves you. I know that because when we were in Uganda, he would talk about, you know, at St. Paul, you know, what the Lord is doing there. You know, God has given us great people. I'm sure many of you don't even know that you are great at all. But, but he, he believes it. And, you know, he talks about it. But guess what? His relationship with the Lord will not affect yours. Each one of us. So he says, so I'm asking you a question. This time I don't want an answer. He asks you, what kind of relationship are we having? And then, of course, he moved on. Uh, he said, what about you? And they kept quiet for a long time. Where do I get that? Because finally, after Peter spoke, Jesus said, what you said is not yours. It was a revelation from above. Which means also, not only do we need a good, uh, uh, a right knowledge, not only do we need a right relationship with the Lord, we also need a right revelation of the Lord. He got a revelation of who Jesus is. He says, you are the Messiah Christ, the son of the living God. Guess what? He just declared him God. And so, the Lord was excited. He said, whoa, I like this. The guy has a right, you know, revelation. And I've just discovered, and that's why the Bible says, the people that know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Only when you have a revelation of who God is, Will you be able to go outside your comfort zone and be able to represent him to bring down the kingdom of God? 
So we find uh, he's talking to these guys. He says, look, guys, uh, now that you know this, I want to do something. I want to give you a great responsibility. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you know now I'm going to call you a rock because I, I want to build my church right now. Does anybody have kids? Kids. Kids. How do you say it in English? English. Wow, this is for a car. Seems like an expensive car, this one. And one of them is for your house. Okay, cool. You own the car? Okay. If you went back, can you enter your car now? Why not? It's your car. I've got the keys. Are they mine? If I went to that car, will I enter it? But it's not mine. If I drove it, will it move? If I went over the speed limits, who will be arrested? Who will be charged? <laughs> if I walked out of here and I drove that car, and you took me to, to court that I have stolen your car, you will lose that case if I have a good lawyer. First of all, I did not ask, what's your name, ma'am? Who? Barbara. Did anybody hear me say, Barbara, give me your keys? No. I said, anybody with the keys? And Barbara pulled out the keys. And there are people in front. This is powerful. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is given the keys by the Father, the key, keys of the kingdom. And Jesus makes a mistake. He gets the keys of the kingdom and he gives them to Peter. So, guess what? He just lost his, he lost his job. This happened in the Garden of Eden. They, were, they put Brother Adam. Father Adam, I think, is not a brother. He was a father at that time. The only father we had. He said, you are in charge. Anything that comes crawling or flying, you are in charge. Rule everything. Our father Adam, instead of ruling the snake, started discussing with the snake. The circumstances were like somebody would talk to the animal, and the animal starts talking, and instead of him saying, no, get lost, he kept quiet, and he, the, the snake took the authority. That's why when Jesus came here, he told Jesus, say, hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given me. Jesus is not agile. That's why the Bible says the God of this world is the devil. Because you had authority. But oh, thank God, when Jesus came, he took the keys back. And he gave it back to us. Sorry, why did he do that? I wish he kept the keys. But of course, Jesus knows that the only way he can do this is so he, to empower us to do it. So Jesus gets the keys and gives them to the church. And he goes back to heaven. And my Bible tells me he's seated on the right hand of the Father. Doing what? Praying, interceding. What is Jesus doing interceding and he's the king of kings? Well, Jesus will only reign when we take our place. I'm talking kingdom. To bring the influence. That's why he said, teach us how to pray. This is how you should pray. May your kingdom come. 
Your will that is being done in heaven may it be done here. But the keys to do that were given to the church. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And this is the kind of church I'm going to build. I'm going to build a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. It's a church that is strong. Can, can I have you, please? Can I have the two of you? You and you, sir. I hope this is safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. It's okay. So you stand here and you stand here. For now, you're going to be, represent the gates of hell. <laughs> Just in the service, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the service, okay. So hold your hands. Hold your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold. Hold, hold them two like this. I know you are not used to this, but... No, 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 no. Not marrying you. Not at all. No. <laughs> I don't do that. No. <laughs> so, if I am the church, and these are the gates of hell, Jesus is saying the gates of hell cannot prevail. So I'm going to try and pass. Make sure I can't pass. So, are you following me? First go back, people are worried that I may break somebody. You first go back and sit. I have finished it, I've finished it. <laughs> Did you get the point? So Jesus said, I'm going to build a church. This church is not a, help us, Lord, we are coming home in your grace. No, he's building a church. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching us to war following me? He says when you reach the gates of hell find a key. If he cannot open, get a hacksaw. If he can open, get a hammer. Sledgehammer. If he cannot get an, a axe, dig it up. If he cannot, find some explosives. <laughs> Thank you so much. You can go and see. This is a church he's building. A church which is full of, of people who, who can't wait but go. Church, we, where people are not just saying, yeah, you know, people here are funny. You cannot just go in, you know, sharing the word. You are like in Africa. No. We, you know, one of the things that really hurt me about the church is that we are, we, we are like, um, what do you call these guys who, who sell things? Huh? Salesmen who, have, who don't know how the product works. They come to you and they are like, when you read at the back, it is really good. They won't sell a thing. The one who sells say, Sir, I know you have tried many things. I also did. The day I used this, it changed my life. I've never used anything else. And, and, and to, to let you know this is, is serious, just test this. Just a little bit. Okay, how much is it? You're the one who asks how much it is. A good salesman will not tell you the price because prices will scare you. He will just tell you about the product. The church is full of people who don't know the product. And, and because they don't know the product, they, they, they don't know how to sell it. My first time to come here in 2009, my host told me, you cannot go preaching the way you preach in Africa. You get in trouble, Sam. Now, I'm a former bad boy, you tell me you can't, I'll try. <laughs> you know? So I tell you, I thank God for where I passed. So anyway, I am in this train, underground train, going to London for the first time alone. And I'm seated, you know, there's this where there was few seats where I think for pregnant and lame and then a few behind here. I was seated behind here. People enter, look at me, and they just go to the other side. I thought to myself, what's going on? And then they were full understanding. 
I thought to myself, I need to tell them about Jesus. So I get up, and, and I go where they are. There was a lady who had a, a bag on us. I put on my best English accent. Excuse me, ma'am. Can I have a seat, please? And I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She picked her bag, and everybody held their bag, and they started looking at each other. You know? so, so I thought, I need to tell these guys about my Jesus. I'm not going to spare them. So I cleared my voice. <clears throat> I just came back from Africa, and in Africa, it's a crime to sit with people you have not greeted. For my sake, I'm going to count three. I'll pass the greeting. When it comes back, I rest my case. One, two, three. I gave the guy. He passed the greeting. You know, it went... <laughs> So it came back. I said, thank you very much, everybody. I put my head down. I had my second line. I was going to tell them, if you don't, I'm going to demonstrate. You know? So then I'll tell them, because I want to tell you about Jesus. I wanted just to push the, the limits. Anyway, cut a long story short. The older people started talking. We used to talk to one another. What happened to us? So one of them said, so where do you come from? I said, Uganda. Idi Amin, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So what are you doing? I said, well, I came here to visit, rest, and to preach. I am a preacher. Said, oh, that explains it. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you preaching this Sunday? I picked the card. I gave him the direction. Surprise of surprises. Shock of shocks. The guy I met on a train shows up in the church. An old black church. You should have seen the ashes. <laughs> they were shocked. Oh, my goodness. Oh, welcome, welcome, sir. Have a seat. You know, I preached. The guy says he really enjoyed Are you following me, people? The problem is many of us in the church were so English. But my friend, I cannot keep quiet. The disciple says we cannot keep quiet of the things we had, we saw, we touched. You leave our heads on, we preach. You cut them off, we preach. We are not going to keep quiet. How I pray that the Lord will set us on fire as a church in England. I like what is going on so far with the new wine. But I think, I think more, many of us are, are watching the players, the stars. God doesn't believe in the stars. He believes in the body where each member brings their own beat. Each member has their own key that opens their own doors that are right in front of them. Uh, I think I'm preaching better than you are responding. Are you in the house? Yeah. So the things that the Lord has told us to do, you will never experience them until you begin walking in them. I used to wonder, why did they put Peter in charge? I wouldn't do that. He denied Jesus. He cut off ears. He did all kinds of things. But guess what? That's the man you put in charge. Because he's tested. He's walked on water. He can never deny the fact that he walked on water. The reason why sometimes we're so fearful is because we have not been bold enough to test and see that the Lord is a good God. We're doing that back home. In the evening, I'll share a little bit. Where we've taken it beyond just praying for the sick to raising the dead. And it's happening. It's still the same. The Bible says it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the biggest problems for the church is that we have defamed the, the Lord. Because when people look at us and they hear what we talk about our God, they don't connect. And very few of us are confident enough to say he's alive. And we're so fearful. The Muslims will die for it. 
you keep them quiet, they will take you to court. That these people are harassing us because we are minorities. And we are majority. Why are they harassing the majority? Because the majority are not aware of what they are holding. My prayer for you as a church is that the Lord will set us on fire. When the Spirit of God, thank you, man. Amen. When the Spirit of the Lord speaks to you about a thing, God expects you to operate on it. What has brought problems for us as a church? Again, we look there. Jesus never said, You shall say to that mountain. He said, You shall say to this mountain. Some people, when they hear about the power of God, they want to go and raise the dead. Begin with the headache that is disturbing you. Begin with the bills that are disturbing you right now. Lord, I'm trusting you that I'm not going to go back again. And then trust him. Give him room. If he doesn't, then you help yourself. I think I'm talking. And, and that's the only way. When David was saying, I want to kill Goliath. They said, you are only young. They say, excuse me, guys. I have an experience with this Lord of mine. He didn't tell, he didn't tell them about the foxes. And the hyenas, because he had only a short time. So he started with the lion and the bear. By the time you go for a lion, you must have dealt with some foxes somewhere. And I pray that the Lord will release you to deal with your own little foxes in that own, your own area. I mean, like uh, Pastor was saying, if you can, please take some. That is not how, that's not how army, the army operates. The army said, everybody get 20, because we are we're an army, kingdom people. This is not about if you can. This is we must bring them to hear the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where my preaching ends. And I tell you one or two testimonies. Do I have time? Oh, cool. You know, I'm enjoying myself. You made me feel at home. And so I've, I've just lost this whole issue of time. And <laughs> Thank you for making me feel so welcome. But I hope I'm communicating. As a church, we... You know, like we just, after Amin, we started preaching and preaching. And for us, we don't train pastors. You just go, preach. If there are people there, you'll find somebody. What are you doing this week? Uh, nothing. You begin looking after that, those people. And that's how people become pastors. I used to be a watchman in our church in Kampala, you know, guarding the church. So the, the guy who was supposed to begin the church in Masaka changed his mind. They said, you go and watch while we look for a pastor. I am still there <laughs> 19 years later. After, I think, six years, I went back to school to study so that I can be able to preach and do what. Now, I'm not practicing what I learned in school. I'm just preaching from my heart. Can I have an amen? amen. So that's how we started. We preach churches everywhere. We're having churches coming up. Like sometimes to really know how many churches, you have to first make calls because they're multiplying all the time. And so, but we looked at the church, our leadership at that time, looked at the church. We were so many, and yet we were so poor. And, and the communities in which we were, were not changing. That's when they said, my goodness me, there must be something we're not doing right. Because we discovered in Uganda that when the church does not disciple the nation, the nation will disciple the church. And, and that's why we have all kinds of things in the church that should not be in the church. Anyway, so they started preaching holistic ministries. We started talking holistic, you know, being able to affect your community, being able to affect, being able to live a life that is active, you know. So anyway, um, one time he goes to Nairobi and he comes across a people talking about a minister called Umoja uh, being uh, supported by Tia Fund. 
So they, they explained to him he didn't wait to get the whole story. All he knew is that you train people to train uh, people how to read Bibles, Bible uh, texts, and we discuss them. And the people in the community will use the stories to develop themselves. Hello, send me 10 people. We don't have money. Find it. I'll give you when I come back. So 10 people come and they go through the training. When they came back, they vanished. He's so busy moving all over the place. So later he said, wait a minute. What are the people we took for training? He looked for them. He didn't find them. And finally he called. When he went to see them, he could not recognize some of them. Because when they talked, they looked him in the eyes. For us in Africa, we, we don't look people in the eyes. That's a white man thing. You know? When a person looks you in the eye, they're angry. But they were looking at him in the eye and they were smiling. And then they were different the way they were dressed. They said, you people, I took you for training. What happened? They said, oh, we came back. We didn't want to teach what we have not practiced. You need to come and see what we have done. He couldn't believe it. They had all kinds of projects running. He said, where did you get money? He said, no, we, from here. What do you mean from here? So that's how now the story goes. And so they mobilize it. It begins running in the area. Then when they saw the impact, we even set up a national office, uh, which now makes sure that we're doing this. And, and we've seen communities like shift from poverty. The whole community, just suddenly like that. Within a period of three years, the process takes three years. And we begin with church awakening, and then we do community mobilization. Very simple things where people have, are told as a church, first of all, to know our mandate. What are we supposed to be doing? We're not supposed to be in the building. We're supposed to be doing ministry out there. We, we, we don't have full-time ministers and part-time ministers. We're all full-time ministers engaged by the Lord wherever he has posted us to represent the kingdom of God. If you're a businessman, you're bringing around the kingdom of God in your business. And, and, you know, that just changed the whole way we operate. As Pentecostals, we believed that other Christians are not really uh, full of the Spirit because we believed that only when you speak in tongues are you fully filled. That made us, you know, to be very arrogant. But this process forced us now to talk with other people because we realized we are not put here to be a monument. We are put here to dissolve in the community so that the whole community gets to know the knowledge of God. So anyway, cut a long story short, we started doing that. Uh, we, we started having people, you know, mobilized. One of the guys I want to talk about is called Sam Amelu, who was lame. He had eight children. He had lost his first wife to HIV. Now, Sam had, um, <clears throat> because of limited education, he ended up uh, doing vocational training, and he was working and was being paid nine pounds a term, three months. That doesn't make sense. Me too, when I had it, I thought, are you serious? But anyway, that's how people are paid. And uh, his children were no longer going to school, and he just decided to go back home. He finds, on his way home, he finds people seated under the mango tree. He says, what's going on? He says, hey, come, come, professor. They called him professor. Come, we are discussing on how to solve our problems. So Sam sits around, and uh, when he hears they're talking about the problem of young people, he says, we need a vocational school, because he realized if they start one at home, at least he can be paid while he stays at home, which was much better. So he contributes, and you know, so suddenly they discovered this is a viable thing, but they discovered they didn't have money. So the facilitator again said, so what do we have? People said, ah, we have nothing. We need to get the people from outside to send us money. Then he, they read the Bible study where they said, he who has more will be given. He who doesn't have even the little they have will be taken away. And they said, okay, all of you who said you have nothing, whatever you have is going. He said, no, no, we don't want it to go away. And so suddenly the people started now looking closely, and they discovered they had some hard land which had inherited. And so he, he thought, what do I do? And of course, one of the things they told them, 
If your grandfather used the same land, planted millet, and he died poor, and your father died poor doing the same, you're also going to die poor doing the same. So you have to think of different ways of doing things. So that's when he came up with the whole idea of doing citrus trees. He didn't have the money. He went to talk to the guy who supplies seedlings, and they gave him 50. He started with those. Now he has improved. He has over 500 of them, and he makes money he would have never, ever made in his life. He's now building a permanent house. He's taking all his kids to school. Again, in the process, he discovered they had other problems of people who had HIV. He mobilized them because now he's confident. So he gets them to come together. They started a savings scheme. And uh, that savings scheme was recognized by the government, so they gave him special uh, uh, help. And it's now used as a model for others, and he's taken by government to go speak in other communities. He also speaks in terms of farming. So he gets money from uh, speaking, he gets transport refunds, and he has money from his own farm. Such stories, so many of them may say a little more in the evening, but we've seen God really work. And the, the beauty of it your contribution doesn't actually go to the people in the community. What happens is that we use the money to do facilitation, transport, whatever. So any community that you have walked through, um, and, and, and Tier Fund have worked it out depending on how big or small the community is, they have discovered that in three years, it only costs 12 pounds to take a person through the process. Unbelievable. And once you've done that, you don't have to go back again. It's done. People come out, they begin thinking, they begin solving their own problems. And I, I can almost say this confidently, 20 years from now, we'll have a totally different nation if the church continues doing what we're doing in Jesus' name.